the wine industry's response is that, you know, this guy wants to sell you wine and these additives are not in high enough doses to be harmful. My response is the same thing as I say about toxins and chemical farming. If I can buy a wine that tastes better, doesn't cost materially different, and it doesn't contain any of these toxins from farming or additives, I'll take it. There's no studies or conclusive evidence about any of this. I completely agree because nobody's financed the studies. There's nobody out there to pay for it. But outside of the studies, if I can get a product that tastes better, doesn't contain any of these toxins in any amount, I'll take that. And that's what natural wine is. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len, and today the topic is alcohol. Just about all of us parents drink, and we know that doing so, it's absolutely not good for our health. It does not help us to be the parents that we want to be, but it does have some utility. It's enjoyable. It provides an escape, and it can enhance socialization, and it can feel like an antidote for the stress that comes from parenting a child on the spectrum or with special needs. So it's easy to understand that the problem with drinking might be how much you drink or how frequently you consume, but just like with food, exactly what you consume really matters. There are better options that don't wreak havoc. So joining me today is Todd White. He is the founder of Dry Farm Wines, He's a writer, a speaker, and a leader in the natural wine movement. He's dedicated to educating and helping people make better choices about food, nutrition, and how they think about consuming alcohol. So if you choose to drink, the upgrade you can make is to consume the cleanest option. The secret for this week is go for conscious consumption. Thanks so much for joining me, Todd. Lynn, I'm happy to be here and lots to talk about. On healthy drinking. You know, I know you have this conversation so much being a biohacker yourself. So take it away and tell any of your backstory, anything well, relevant. I mean, I think I have, you know, I have a conversation not only with the community about how to make better choices about drinking, but I have a conversation, an internal conversation with myself and external conversations in my family about drinking. And and so, but I have an ongoing dialogue with myself about my own drinking. Would I be better off if I didn't drink at all? Should I drink less? Do I drink too much? Um, but, you know, it. let me start by saying, as it relates to drinking, you know, my point of view and the point of view of many other people is that there's nothing really enhancing to your health. I don't, I don't think that ethyl alcohol is necessarily healthy for humans. Um, alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin. Many people shouldn't drink at all. And if you don't drink today, I'm not recommending that you start. That being said, even my life might be enhanced if I stop drinking. But the, the issue is, for me, I don't want to stop drinking. And drinking doesn't get in the way of my functional adulthood, my functioning, functioning adulting. And so, but what I did do is I put some guardrails around it and I have some drinking rules. Like I don't drink in the daytime ever. That's just like, like something I don't do. Um, I have a lot of rules around sort of various modalities and disciplines and drinking is a modality for me. And so I choose to drink not to escape, not to check out, but to tap in. I think drinking is fun. I enjoy drinking. My partner and I have this conversation about drinking quite often, and we take time away from drinking. So it surprises a lot of people to hear the wine guy say that alcohol is probably not healthy for humans and that alcohol is a dangerous neurotoxin. And 
um, and I take time away from drinking. I mean, that's just not what people think I should say because they think I'm here to sell wine. <clears throat> and I am fortunate to make a decent living uh, doing something I love, which is selling natural wine and helping people get educated about how to think about drinking. But, um, but I'm not here to sell wine, although that would be a positive uh, side effect if someone were to buy wine from me. Uh, but what I really, my goal is to help people think about drinking and to help people decide if they do decide to drink what I think they should be drinking in the betterment of a healthier drinking, drinking experience. So I got involved in this because uh, I've been having this conversation myself about drinking for a long time. And I've been a biohacker for about 20 years and about a decade ago, I got very, very serious about it and did all kinds of crazy things like started eating once a day. I've been eating once a day for almost a decade. I, do regular before it became cool yeah yeah before anybody knew what intermittent fasting was i started experimenting with a therapeutic ketogenic diet um and did that for a couple years now i'm what i would call modified keto so i'm very low carb i stay in ketosis every day because i only eat once a day and then i eat low carb so uh, just by virtue of the limited amount of eating that I do and the schedule in which I am, I stay in ketosis without, but not what I consider to be therapeutic ketosis, mm -hmm. where ketone levels are very high and fat intake is very high. Um, many of your listeners probably know that that the ketogenic diet is was originally developed to treat um, children with epilepsy, so it's has anti seizure. Uh, components to it um, and is still used to treat drug-resistant drug children with epilepsy, yes. certain types of epilepsy. It's used for a lot of other things as well now. And I'm a big proponent. So about eight or nine years ago, I started experimenting with therapeutic ketogenic diet. And I found at that time that um, it could have been a number of cofactors. It may not have just been keto, but that my relationship with alcohol changed. And I really thought it was just, um, I really thought it was just alcohol itself. I didn't, um, I didn't really, I was only drinking wine. I've only been drinking wine for the last 20 years. So I don't drink spirits anymore and haven't for about 20 or 25 years. So I got on this journey looking for lower alcohol wines than what were commercially available. And in that process, I accidentally stumbled upon the natural wine revolution, which was just really getting underway in central France. And natural wine is a very um, confusing term to people because when I tell them I sell and only drink natural wine, they, they say, well, isn't all wine natural? And it's not for the reasons that I'm going to tell you. So basically, alcohol comes commercially available or generally available not exclusively. There are meads and there are other uh, seltzers and hard kombuchas, but basically most alcohol comes in the way of uh, that's available to people in beer, wine, or spirits. I don't drink beer because it's very high in um, maltose sugar, which is converts very quickly to blood glucose. It's a super reactive type of sugar. It's what causes people to get beer bellies. And so I don't drink beer because I'm rapidly anti-sugar. I think sugar is the most widely abused addictive drug on the planet. It's terrible for you. So, yeah. And, and by the way, I'm with you on that. And just before you continue with beer, so you're saying it's the sugar uh, as opposed to the fact that it has gluten, right? Or it's something to do with the barley, et cetera. I mean, not that that's, I mean, those are inflammatory too, but you're seeing beers being a bigger issue because of the ultimate sugar content. Well, for me, it's a number of variables, including gluten, but I'm not gluten intolerant. I just resist, I just stay away from um, grains in general. Yeah. But the sugar is the bigger issue for me where beer is concerned. And I've had some gluten intolerance or, you know, but I, I just don't generally eat or drink carbs. And so, but the bigger issue that I think is the health concern there for most people is the is maltose sugar. It's a very specific type of 
really reactive um, sugar that's found in beer. So I don't drink beer for that reason. <clears throat> um, spirits I don't drink because they're too high in alcohol. And so I've already mentioned I think alcohol is dangerous. And so I think a lot about, which is why we drink and sell only lower alcohol wines. I think if people are going to drink, they need to be moderate. And I'm not a moderate drinker, so I don't like have a glass of wine. I have like a bottle of wine. And so that being the case, if I were to drink a bottle of traditional wine at 14 or 15% alcohol and all the sugar and additives are in it, I would feel terrible. I'd be inoperable, right? And so this is what led me to sort of accidentally discovering this very specific type of wine that represents only about one-tenth of 1% of the wines in the world. And so, you know, for me, drinking wine is about fun. It's, it's now I definitely unwind from it. Surely it provides some unplugging, but I'm not trying to like check out, you know, it's not my goal to get drunk or to escape from something in my life. Um, it's my goal to tap in and to find a moment of joy and happiness and connection with people around me. And so I only drink at night. I only drink at dinner. I typically drink with my friends or family. And it's just an elevated sense of joy and love and euphoria. And so for me, it's just about getting a little bit high. It's not about checking out. And I also love what wine represents. And I love the way it tastes and how it makes me feel. And I've always been interested in taste ever since I was a kid. So let's start with taste. And I think we can all agree that when we go to the farmer's market and we buy fruits and vegetables from um, from small family farms, that those organic fruits and vegetables not only look better and more beautiful, but they taste better. And so organic fruits and vegetables simply taste better. And so that's the reason organic wines taste better is because it starts with a better fruit. And I talk about gravy being a fruit. We'll talk about in a moment about why our wines are sugar-free and how they become sugar-free. Because obviously fruit juice, grape juice has a lot of sugar in it. Mm -hmm. But we'll get to, it's one of the most common questions I get is, how is your wine sugar-free? Doesn't grape juice have sugar in it? We'll get to that momentarily. But so here's a shocking fact, and I'm going to give you a lot of shocking facts that will be surprising. And so <clears throat> everything I'm going to tell you is verifiable by Google search, or you can go to our website and there's a document there that gives all the scientific sites and all the third-party independent sites that uh, validate everything I'm going to tell you. Because it's all kind of surprising. And the first fact is that worldwide, only 5% of vineyards are farmed organically. In California, it's only 4%. So what that means is that globally, 95% of vineyards are farmed with toxic chemicals. That's where the problem begins is in farming. So not only... Do toxins, why that's important is that grapes on the Dirty Dozen list from the Environmental Watch Group, the Dirty Dozen list of fruits and vegetables that retain the highest residual toxins from farming, grapes are number eight. They used to be number six until this year. Yeah. They got beat out by a couple other nasty characters. Anything with a skin so, is going to have a higher concentration, right? So so th that's that's one issue why grapes are popping up. Yes. So now the wine industry, their response to this is same as glyphosate from Bayer. I mean, the response is all the same. Glyphosate, by the way, is the number one applied herbicide in U.S. vineyards. So their response, you know, from 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 the poison side of the house, you know, and from the conventional wine industry is, look, there's not enough of these toxins in farming to be harmful to your health. And the same justification that they use for glyphosate, although it's known to be a carcinogenic. So my response to that is pretty simple. Yes, we can agree there's no conclusive studies on these toxins and chemicals because there's been nobody to pay for these studies. 
And to do studies on anything that you consume, whether it be nutritional study or any kind of consumables, virtually impossible to get very good quality data over long periods of time unless you were to use prisoners, which is unethical. It's very difficult to get control group studies on anything that's consumed because people don't follow the protocol. But here's my response to the wine industry who says, and the food industry, and anybody else who says that these toxins in farming are not harmful to humans. Um, my response is quite simple. Look, we don't have any conclusive studies one way or the other. We do know they're poisonous. We do know that we're ingesting them. And if I have the option to buy something organic that doesn't have these toxins in farming, I'll take that option. If it tastes better and it doesn't cost materially more, then I'll choose the organic path. Even though there's no evidence, I agree that these chemicals are harmful, although I don't want to drink them in any amount. Which takes us to the second point, which is additives in wine. So there are 76 additives approved by the by the government for the use in winemaking. Our wine industry has the same response in this. These additives are not harmful to you. They're not in high enough doses to be harmful. Well, of the 76 additives, 12 of them are classified by the National Institutes of Health. That's another government agency that has a database called PubChem that classifies all public chemicals in the United States. Of these 76 additives, it's fair to note a few are actually natural, but many are not. Two are classified as acute toxins by the National Institutes of Health. Acute toxins' clinical definition is one or multiple doses over a 24-hour period can be fatal. That is the clinical definition of an acute toxin. Twelve of the 76 additives are classified as health hazards by the National Institutes of Health and the World Health Organization, or are derived from eight, required to be derived from eight different animal organs, including pig pancreas, cow liver, pig stomach, fish bladder. Um, so if you care about animal rights or if you, you're vegan, then that's important to you. Personally, I'm not a vegan, but do care about animal rights. I'm not sure we want to be drinking additives that are made from these animal parts in general. Um, and six are made from various black mold toxins, including ochratoxin A. Again, the wine industry's response to this, uh, it might not be surprising to you. I'm public enemy number one for the U.S. wine industry uh, because I've told millions of people about this. I've been featured in over 500 press articles talking about this. They're not real happy with me. So, but their response is twofold. First of all, they say, look, Todd, this guy, he just wants to sell you his wine. Let me raise my hand. Guilty as charged. Yes, I want to sell wine and I'm grateful to make a decent living selling a product that I believe in. I know a lot about and um, and I think you should drink it, and I hope you will. But if you don't, that's okay. This is not about Todd making more money. Todd can do lots of things to make money. This is about, and again, yes, thank you. I'm grateful to make a good living doing this. But that's not what this is about. This is about if I had been armed with this education sooner and had I known about better drinking rules and had I known about drinking better and healthier wine sooner, my life would have been enhanced sooner. And so my goal is to educate people. If you're going to drink, this is how I think you should drink and how you should think about it, and particularly if you're going to drink wine. Um, and so I've already talked about the why I don't drink these other things. Spirits are too high in alcohol, beer and its sugar problem, which leads to other health maladies. So you know, if you're going to drink wine, I think if you're going to drink, you should drink wine. If you're going to drink wine, you should drink sugar-free, lower alcohol, natural wines without any toxins in farming and without any toxic additives. And, and so, yes, guilty. I do make a living and a decent living doing this. And, yes, I want to sell you wine. But if you don't buy my wine, I think you should buy low-alcohol, sugar-free, natural wines. 
Number two, they say, um, again, these additives are not in high enough, just like what they say about toxic chemicals in farming. These additives are not in high enough doses to be harmful to you. The poison is in the dose. The, okay. The, the argument is for every kind of toxin, you know, whether we're Sure, great. I'll, I'll take that argument. Yeah, I'll, anyway. I'll take it. There's no conclusive evidence that these additives, although the health hazards and toxins, the most dangerous one is called dimethyl dicarbonate. It's a chemical manufactured in California. It's used to treat the number one single most common bacterial fault in wines called bretomyces. It's highly toxic. The wine industry's response is that, you know, this guy wants to sell you wine and these additives are not in high enough doses to be harmful. My response is the same thing as I say about toxins and chemical farming. If I can buy a wine that tastes better, doesn't cost materially different, um, and it doesn't contain any of these toxins from farming or additives, I'll take it, right? There's no studies or conclusive evidence about any of this. I completely agree because nobody's financed the studies. There's nobody out there to pay for it. But outside of the studies, if I can get a product that tastes better, doesn't contain any of these toxins in any amount, I'll take that. And that's what natural wine is. And so it changed my life in a very material way, both the feeling while drinking in addition to the next day. Uh, I'm a meditator. I get up, I meditate every morning. I work out every morning. I get up early. Usually between 5.30 and 6.30 in the morning, just naturally when I wake up. And I need to be highly functional, right? And natural wine allows me to do that in a way that conventional wine does not. Anybody who drinks natural wine and the hundreds of thousands of customers that we have and the millions of people that they have shared wines with know that natural wines cause you to feel better and different. And so... um, Yes, I get paid for doing this and quite well, and I'm pleased about that, and thank you. But that's not what this is about. This is about helping people learn what I know um, and learn it sooner, wish I had. And so let me tell you what a natural wine is and how it differs in addition to farming and, and additives. From So natural wine is about one-tenth of one percent of wine production worldwide. And we're the largest importer and reseller of natural wines in the world. And most natural wines are made in Europe. There are a handful of wines naturally made in the United States. We don't sell domestic wine because there's no wines made in the United States, no natural wines that meet all of our criteria for purity. So, and the primary reason U.S. wines don't work is because U.S. wine-making styles are typically higher in alcohol, just as a style, is just a wine-making style. They are almost always irrigated. Um, there's virtually no far- dry farming in the United States anymore, even in natural wines. And um, number three, uh, if they are organically farmed, if they are dry farmed, uh, and if they do they generally don't meet our price criteria they're too expensive because farming cost in the united states is much higher than europe and also land cost here is much higher than in europe and so typically wines can't be sold profitably at a price point all, all of our wines are 30 dollars a bottle they're all the same price that includes shipping so they're not like super expensive and u.s wines at $30 and below or just don't typically meet our criteria uh, for the very few that do meet it. They don't meet it in price. So those are the reasons that domestic wines don't work for us. So most of our producers are in Europe. We have five producers in South Africa and a half a dozen in South America. But the, we work with 800 small family farms uh, primarily across Europe. And when I say small family farms, what I mean by that is that when you go to the farmer's market, so most people will never see a small family natural wine vineyard because they're remote and rural and most of them are in Europe. 
most people won't see that, but what most people do see and can relate to, and it's exactly the same thing, is when you go to the farmer's market. So when you go to the farmer's market and you see these small family farms and you see the fruits and vegetables, they're so beautiful you want to take photographs of them. They're so vibrant. They don't look anything like the organic food that you see in your grocery store. Right. They're very different. And because what I call the grocery store organic is what I'll call industrial organic. So it's organic at scale. And those fruits and vegetables in the grocery store, they don't look like what you see at the farmer's market. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ones at the farmer market are just so vibrant and beautiful, and they taste better. Yeah, it, now it, it, it sounds weird, but they're that 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 produce is vibrating. It's got life in it, whereas what's in the grocery it, store, it has vibration. It has frequency. Everybody listening to this podcast will understand what the farmers' market difference is, right? Yeah, it's the same thing in in natural wine because all natural wines are grown by small family farms, just like what you see at the farmer's market. And you can see the look of those farmers, the gentleness on their face, the the the, the twinkle in their eyes, their skin, their state of being. These are farmers. They're, they have a connection to nature. And every organic small family farmer knows that everything in nature is connected and that that the only way to produce that quality of fruit and vegetable that you see at the farmer's market is to have a spiritual connection with nature and to have a spiritual connection with living soils and regenerative farming. And so that's what natural wine is. So natural wine has three components. One it's always organic or biodynamically farmed. And biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming developed in 1925 by an Austrian scientist called Rudolf Steiner. I won't go into the details. If you're interested, you can see it online. It's a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. Number two, natural wines are always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast. Conventional wines are fermented with GMO, lab-cultured yeast. Now, what does all that mean? All grapes at the time of harvest on the skin of the grape, they have a white, waxy film. You can scrape it off with your fingernail. That, that is yeast. That is wild, indigenous, native yeast that was produced by the flora in the vineyard and around the vineyard, and it collects natively on the skin of the grape. Every grape in the world has it at the time of harvest. No matter whether how it's farmed or where it's farmed, it has wild native yeast on the skin. Now, the conventional winemaker doesn't use this yeast to ferment wine, and we're going to get into the fermentation process in a moment and why wines are sugar-free or not sugar-free, um, because you don't have to be a natural wine to be sugar-free. There are unnatural conventional wines that are also sugar-free. We'll get into that in a moment. But these wild native yeast, they're quite temperamental, and they're difficult to work with, and you can't make wine in large volumes. Too high a risk of having a broken fermentation, which is a really disastrous thing in the winemaking world to have a fermentation that, that breaks because the yeast broke down. Also, wild native yeast will not withstand a very high alcohol environment. They'll, the alcohol will kill them. So what the wine industry did in response to this many decades and decades ago was to, uh, to modify, to genetically modify the yeast so that they are not temperamental. They're very strong and sturdy, and they... You can make wine in large volumes, and you don't have this temperamental issue with them. They won't break down, and they'll withstand a higher alcohol environment. So this very crucial difference between using a wild native indigenous yeast or a GMO yeast. 
And number three, natural wines don't contain any of these industrial toxic additives. So those are the three differences. The, the primary ones are the, are, are uh, organic farming, which is, as I've already told you, only 5% of vineyards in the world are organically farmed, and then the native yeast fermentation. So this, so natural wines are quite rare. Uh, they're difficult to find, which is why our business is done well, is because we make all this easy. Now, there's no certification for natural wines anywhere in the world at the moment. France is going to be the first country this year to certify natural wines. My company, Dry Farm Wines, does have the leading, strongest wine certification program in the world. So we do certify each wine on a whole bunch of criteria in addition to being natural. So natural is just the, the, the floor for us. It has to be a natural wine for us to consider it. But then also has to be sugar-free, lower in alcohol. We don't sell anything over 12.5%. Most of the wines I drink are between 10 and 11%. Because I like the taste of lower alcohol wines better. It's friendlier with food. And I can drink more of it and still be moderate. And what, so, what's, what's a typical conventional percent? They're generally between 14 and 15%. Can be higher, can be a little bit lower. You'll virtually never see one at 12 and a half or below, ever. Um, but the average is um, average American wine now is almost at 15%. But another collusion between... Let me talk about the two collusions between the wine industry and the U.S. government. So while we're talking about alcohol, we'll talk about this one first. Yeah. One, alcohol stated on a wine bottle by law is not required to be accurate. So if a wine states 14% on the label, it can be as high as 15.5% and still be legal. In addition to that, there's no enforcement on stated alcohol label by the government anyway. And in a recent study in California, oh, about five years ago, an independent group found that 69% of alcohol, 69% of stated alcohol on wine bottles was inaccurate and stated lower than it actually was. 69%. Now, the more important collusion between the government and the wine industry is on additives and labeling and nutritional information. So the wine industry spends millions of dollars lobbying successfully to keep transparent labeling off a wine bottle. So wine bottle, so wine is the largest major food product without a contents label or any nutritional information. This is not an accident. In fact, you can go to Wine America. They're the wine industry's lead lobby group. And you can go under their initiatives and you'll find on their website that they publicly oppose contents labeling, and nutritional information on wine bottles. Now, their justification for this is twofold. This is what the wine industry tells Congress, and of course money is exchanged for favors. This has nothing to do with the, the rationale that's on this lobby group's website and what the wine industry tells um, Congress, but their justification for not having contents labeling this is on the lobby group's website, quote, end quote. There are two reasons for why we shouldn't be given contents information or nutritional information. Is one, there's not enough real estate on the bottle. The label's not big enough to tell you this. That's not true. We have a label that contains everything. Number, the second reason, in addition to there's not enough real estate on a wine bottle to give you contents and information and nutritional information, exactly. which is, by the way, on things as small as candy bars, right? So um, if it's a food product regulated by the FDA, and I'll get back to that in a moment, it's required, any doesn't matter what size it is, to have, certainly we know there's enough real estate on a wine bottle. Number two, their other reason is it would be confusing to consumers. Uh, I'll discount both of those. I don't need to go any further in the reason why. Let's talk about the FDA for a moment because this is another interesting aspect about wine and other certain alcohol products is that it's 
alcohol and wine are, are the only products, consumable products, and not all alcohol, but wine in particular and spirits, are carved out from regulation by the FDA. So the FDA does not regulate wine. The Treasury Department regulates wine. ATF. In a division called the TTB, which is Trade and Tax Bureau. You're old enough to remember when it was called the ATF before they burned down Waco. Then they changed the name from the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Division of the Treasury Department to the TTB, which is a much friendlier name, the Trade and Tax Bureau. I, I, I totally but, missed that change. I thought it was still called the ATF. No, it's called the T Trade and Tax Bureau, or the acronym is the TTB. It's a division of the Treasury Department. Now, why that's important is because the Treasury Department's mission is not to make wine healthier or to give you better information about wine. Guess what the Treasury Department's goal is? Their mission is to generate tax dollars tax to hell sell up. more alcohol. Not to regulate it in a way that makes it safer or better for you, but to sell more of it and generate more tax. It's the same irony that exists with the old food pyramid, now known as myplate.gov. That is managed and administered by none other than the agriculture department, which is why in the food pyramid for years and in myplate.gov, you see that grains are the number one recommended uh, consumable. Now, there's a reason for that. Agriculture department is not in the business of advising you truly about healthy eating. Their business is to sell grains for American farmers. So, which is why in the... Agricultural Department's nutritional recommendations, they will tell you freely that Cheerios are healthier than avocado. Don't need to go down the, the collusion path any further between the government and the Agriculture Department and the Treasury Department and the FDA. But I think you understand the issue. Yeah. And so they're not qualified, nor are they engaged in doling out Credible information. They have other missions and goals. Yeah, so, there's a conflict of interest, and it's not in your interest. There's other there's other pursuits that are happening. Right. I'm not the first person to point out these conflicts, particularly as it relates to food and the Department of Agriculture. Um, so it's you know we we and this started in the 1960s on food with Ansel Keys and the seven country studies and all the false information that came out on saturated fats that led to to nearly three generations now of unhealthy Americans. Um, fortunately, there's a, a sensible uh, and growing audience of people who have listened and are reacting to food information on carbohydrates and sugar and and uh and healthy fats so um that's just a little story of what happens in washington and why if you really want to take control of your health you um you need to get informed on your own and make uh, assessments based on your own studies not on what the government feeds you all right, let's get back to fermentation for a second, and we'll wrap up here with some questions if you have any. How how wine is sugar-free or not sugar-free? And remember, I'm not here to tell you that natural wines don't have anything to do with whether wine is sugar-free or not. Some conventional wines are also sugar-free. Many are not. Only way to know if a wine is sugar-free is to independently lab test it, which we do. So every wine we sell goes through a rigorous third-party certified analogous independent lab testing on our behalf. And we screen for a lot of things of purity and lab testing, but among them are alcohol and sugar. Because remember, I told you alcohol stated on a bottle, any bottle, doesn't matter whether it's natural or not, is not required to be accurate. So we do independent lab testing to ensure that it's sugar-free, to ensure that it's meets our alcohol standard to ensure that it does not have 
sulfur dioxide added to ensure that the sulfites are lower, so on and so forth. But here's how wine is made, and here's how the yeast comes into it, whether the yeast is wild and native and natural or whether it is uh, genetically modified lab-cultured yeast. So you, how you make wine, and red and white are made a little bit differently, how you make wine is that you press the juice from the skins, from the fruit, you put the berries in a press, you press the juice out, if it's white wine, you throw the skins and seeds away, and it's just free run into a tank. And if it's natural wine, it will have a spontaneous fermentation because the yeast is already present. In conventional wine, they use sulfur dioxide to kill the native yeast, and then they inoculate it with this lab-cultured yeast. Either way, what happens next is kind of the same. The yeast eats the sugar. So the yeast will activate, they become alive, and then they eat the sugar as their um, as their food source. There's a little device, it's not very sophisticated, there's a little device that hangs in the tank, and it tells the winemaker at any given time exactly how much sugar is left in the fruit juice, in the grape juice. If it's a fully fermented wine, which is the only thing we sell or drink, if it's fully fermented, it will be sugar-free because what happens at the end of the fermentation is that the yeast eats all of the available sugar, and then the yeast will die from a lack of food source. If it's not fully fermented, this is how sugar gets in wine. Sugar is not added to wine. Anybody says, if you see an advertisement on social media that says no added sugar for wine, you can just discount that company because wine is never added. Sugar is never added to wine. Um, it's called chapelization. doesn't happen in still wines. There is a very minor, minor fraction of sparkling wines in the world that do have sugar added in a secondary fermentation called chapelization. It's very specific to certain sparkling wines. Still wine, sugar is never added anywhere. But here's how sugar gets in there. When the winemaker reaches the desired amount of residual sugar, or RS as it's called in the industry, the amount of sugar they want to leave behind in the wine, and they do that for a bunch of reasons. Americans love sugar. It also gives wine mouthfeel, and it gives wine that long caramelly finish that you get from wine. So the longer the finish, the more sugar it has in it. And so people like this kind of mouthfeel and this, this finish. So they just simply, again, dump in sulfur dioxide into the wine and kill the yeast before, it, before fermentation finishes in full. That's done for red or white wines. But I want to tell you that red wine making is a little bit different. All the process is the same, except when you press the juice from the berries and red wine, it goes into a tank, but then you take the skin seeds and the stems and you add that into the tank and the skins macerate with the juice. That's where red wine actually gets its color and its tannin structure and its additional polyphenols, flavonoids, and antiflavonoids. So there are these compounds in wine that are thought to impart health benefits. Too complicated to get into those details, but they're generally called polyphenols. There are about 200 in white wine. There are over 800 in red wines. And those additional polyphenols come from the skin contact, so what, which is why red wine is generally considered by many people to be healthier, quote unquote, is because of these compounds. And the most famous one is called resveratrol. Yep. and uh, there's a very famous scientist called Dr. David Sinclair, who has a biology lab in Harvard, who has been a huge proponent of resveratrol. And in mice studies has shown it's never been proven in humans, although he recommends supplementation of it. Um, I don't disagree with the supplementation, but there's never been any human proof that resveratrol extends lifespan. There has been... Uh, ample evidence in mice and other living organisms that show that there's resveratrol 
can be beneficial in high doses uh, to to extend to expend lifespan, but never been shown in humans. Right. Um, but this is although the wine industry had a field day with it and said, you know, drinking red wine is healthier and you know might cause you to live longer, but there's the no market, proof of marketing that. Marketing was crazy when that study. Yeah, came. yeah. I'm not. I'm not here to. to I only repeat things that I believe and can validate are true. And resveratrol and the extension of lifespan in humans is simply not proven. But so red wine is a little bit different in that regard in how it's made, but they both are, are the same in how they become sugar-free, which is the winemaker is a matter of his or her style of making wine, uh, either leaves sugar behind or does not. So that's how wine becomes sugar-free. So you can see all of this information on our website, and it's all very specific as to the certification, why we're different, and how we're different than just natural wine, and how we take things steps further because we're fanatics, you know, how we take steps further in our certification process than just a natural wine. I still tell you, you're better off to drink A, organic wine, whether it's natural or not, B, Drink natural wine, whether it's ours or not, and see the top of the heap is, you know, if you give us the privilege to drink our lab-tested dry farm wine, certified wines, which are going to be the highest certification of wines in the world. So anyway, hopefully that's been helpful, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. No, you you covered a lot of the ground I wanted to get to, and and even with that most basic first um, key point about if you feel like sugar is the enemy, uh, it, most people would, I think, immediately think, okay, well, wine has to have a lot of sugar in it. It's grape juice, ultimately fermented grape juice. So thank you for explaining how the process works, where ultimately you can have no sugar in wine and, and have a zero sugar wine. Um, and interesting that the industry decides to leave a certain percent for for very specific reasons. So uh, no, I think that's really helpful um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the quantification and the extent that you go to to actually lab test the wines that you provide and you only get contract with certain vineyards who meet your standards. And I'd heard at one point that you didn't have any in the United States, basically because the, the soil is so poor. And I'm guessing that that's um, that that might be one one reason why the vineyards that you do work for are not in the U.S. for the most part. They're going to be elsewhere in the globe. And um, and I think the only thing I wanted to see if you could explain, you know, in terms of the name of your company, wh- what is dry farming and what is the problem with irrigation? Uh, well, I mean, there's a number of problems with irrigation. First of all, we're in a worldwide drought. And in the 90,000 hectare that we farm with our partners around the world, primarily in Europe, we save over a billion gallons of water a year. So irrigating the grapevine, first of all, is unhealthy for the planet and um, and contributes to what is already a worldwide drought and is completely unnecessary. Uh, grapevines have been living all over the world in some of the harshest climates in the world without irrigation for 10,000 years. And in fact, the irrigation didn't even come to the United States until sometime in the early 1970s. Now, in the United States, it's virtually ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. It's very, very hard to find any vineyard in the United States uh, that it's virtually unheard of today. Um, I lived in Napa Valley for 20 two years, and I can only name uh, two wine growers in the Napa Valley who dry farm. And the University of Davis, which is the most important analogy school in the United States, at the Robert Madavi School of Analogy, which is underwritten by the Madavi family, before they sold the Constellation brands for $1.3 billion about 15 years ago. Um, Constellation is one of the top three largest wine companies in the United States. Consolidation is another 
issue, and I'm going to get back to dry farming, but I didn't mention this. Consolidation is another huge issue about the problem with conventional wine. So the top three wine companies in the United States make 60% of all U.S. wines, the three companies. The top 25 companies in the United States make 90% of all U.S. wines. And so these are not, these wines are not being made in these quaint farmhouses and uh, chateaus that you see on the frequently on labels. They're made in huge factories in central California, huge factories, multiple football fields big. And so, and this has happened what in the private equity in the investment world you call a roll up. So what happened was these companies came along and used public and private money to roll up the industry. And because of the way alcohol is distributed through the three tier system, which is also another problem, it's a federal law that resided that's been on the books since the early 1940s. So the way alcohol is distributed, it makes it very expedient and convenient for large companies to feed into this distribution system for reasons that we don't have time to get into. But it's another issue with between the government and the way uh, that alcohol is distributed in the U.S. by law, by federal law. Smaller players can't compete. They just can't compete. And so... Um, so consolidators come along, offer them a bunch of money, and it's just easy to take that money. Is a large transaction with the California, a very well-known California wine family in the Napa Valley that transacted for $500 million last week. And so um, purchased by the largest wine manufacturer in the United States, So, which was um, Rumbauer, which was purchased by Gallo. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, or the announcement was made. So, you know, th- this is this is how it works. But back to dry farming for a moment. So, when you, w- nobody would disagree that 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 plants produce better quality output when they're under stress, right? And so, this is a reason that grapevines are planted close together. So they compete with each other. Um, This is the reason that hillside fruit, whether it's irrigated or not irrigated, is prized. And you'll see on fancy wine bottles, hillside fruit, you know, hillside vintage. Mm -hmm. Because when when a grape grows on a hillside, it's more stressed than when it grows on flat ground. Nobody, whether they irrigate or don't irrigate, would dispute that you get better quality and character fruit when the fruits, when the vines struggle, that's just widely accepted. Well, when you don't irrigate, that's just another form of struggle for the, the plant. So the plant is struggling to find nutrient and water and struggling and competing with its neighbors for the same moisture and the same nutrients. See, an irrigated grapevine has a little tube just above the trunk that feeds it water and also nitrogen. That's where it gets its food as well. Now, you can't change an irrigated vineyard from irrigation to dry farming. The vines won't survive. You have to rip it out and you have to start it. You have to wean it off of off of water. You have to begin to teach the vine to have proper root foundation. If you stop watering an irrigated grapevine, it will die. It doesn't have the proper root structure to survive. The root structure of an irrigated grapevine is about four feet in diameter, about four feet deep. An unirrigated grapevine at maturity can have roots that run across in deep 20 to 40 feet. And it's these little tiny hair-like capillaries that these roots that are constantly on the move trying to discover moisture and and minerals for their nutrition. So this creates not only the struggle, but the access to these minerals, not nitrogen, which create a more complex 
and a more mineral-driven fruit. So you'll have more minerality, which is desirable in wine, salinity and minerality uh, in, in a dry farm. So it's both taste. Polyphenols are also higher in organic and in dry farmed uh, fruit because of this struggle. So this uh, homesis, it creates... Um, it creates a, a, a healthier fruit. So that's, that's, I mean, these are among some of the reasons why dry farming is desirable and better. It's also more expensive and it's more difficult. Also, organic farming is more expensive and more difficult. So this is a reason that neither of these practices are widespread, especially in the United States, where the goal is not to make wine better or healthier is to make it cheaper and faster. And so either through farming or irrigation or in the use of these additives in factory wines. So that's sort of how it all works. And all right. um, it's well, all about, well, as it usually is, it's all about money. <laughs> well, I appreciate that more expansive explanation. And uh, it really results in a very different product. It may look similar but you know everything that you just explained, um, you know, for me, if if I am going to, uh, and basically right right when COVID hit, I said, okay, I'm done with alcohol. I'm, I I saw that things were going to get kind of crazy, and I just kind of gave up because I didn't, you know, as I've gotten older, alcohol just seems to work less and less. I've done genetic testing on myself, you know, uh, functional genomics, and I know my genes don't handle alcohol very well, so I kind of stepped away from it. Uh, but, you know, the few times that I have had it in the last few years for family celebrations, um, I only have your product because I feel, you know, I don't feel any effects the next day. I feel good, you know, consuming it. And, um, you know, again, we're not saying to anyone listening, you know, go out and just you know start drinking. But if you do, this is a wildly different product from a uh, from a toxin perspective. It doesn't have all the stuff that makes drinking regular wine uh, so problematic for so many people. So that's why we're having this conversation, just to make you aware of um, you know what dry farming is and uh, the wildly different product that's produced. And and it's, you, you keep using the term natural wines, Todd. But you know I'm I'm thinking that natural wine and everything that you described that's pretty much just how wine was made. If you go back 50, 60, 70 years, right? Oh, the, the, yeah, but it's all natural. Yeah, it was exactly. It was also lower alcohol. Alcohol crept up over the years, and even in the last 20 years, has increased. Wine industry loves alcohol. Alcohol is addictive, let's be clear. Mm -hmm. It's an addictive drug, which is why some people who suffer from addiction tendencies shouldn't drink. It's an addictive drug. It's also a domino drug. The more you drink, the more likely you are to drink more. So they want to feed you more. I'm anti-alcohol, but pro-natural wine. I don't love alcohol, but I love natural wine which is why I constantly rat ass down on alcohol. I don't think alcohol is great. I love getting high off of it. I just don't want to get to, I don't want to cross over that cognitive barrier, you know, where it becomes stupid. Um, and, you know, for neurological reasons, I also don't think drinking a lot, you know, is probably healthy. So, um, but I do like drinking. I drink, unless I'm on an extended water fast, I drink every day. Uh, I love drinking wine. I drink a lot of it, but I drink low alcohol natural wines that are sugar free, that are organically farmed. And I feel a huge difference. So does everybody else. That's why they keep drinking our wines. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they could go down to the store and buy them, but they can't because natural wines are difficult to find. Right. And, uh, and unless they go through our testing and our certification and protocol, they, even though they're organic or natural, they're not likely to be the same thing. So we have, and the wines that are made for us are exclusive to us. We do not sell to restaurants or retailers. So the only way to buy our wines is directly from us. Mm. We can't we can't get enough wine to sell to restaurants and retailers. We barely get enough to sell to our customers. So, but um, we'd love for you to join us if there's any way we can be of service, or you want to follow us. We're on all social media. We're Dry Farm Wines. And uh, you can find our website, dryfarmwines.com, and I'm sure you'll put in your show notes. We will include a link in the show notes and uh, references to uh, some of the uh, 
um, things that you've mentioned. But uh, yeah, I really, uh, I, I've learned a lot today, Todd. So I greatly appreciate this. And I know this is going to air kind of, or you know, before the holiday season kicks in. So again, if you're going to celebrate, and if alcohol and having a glass of wine is something that's uh, that you're looking to do this holiday season, um, this is. I mean, I can I can attest to the fact that when I first tried it, um, it, there was not a wine bottle that I had from Dry Farm I didn't like. I loved them all, and it's crazy having a glass or two, and then the next day feeling perfectly fine which is something that I never, ever experienced with anything that was conventional for sure. So I uh, really appreciate what you and your company are doing. And yeah, we'll include in the show notes where people can find you. Great. Thanks for having me today. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.